when clients work with us, what we do furthers their career and their work. They know they have a partner and they will have peace of mind. That's not common, that's not normal. What we've seen more recently is a deeper understanding of really what we provide in the marketplace through their events by providing experiences. And then again, back to that word mood, that we have the ability and often will shift the mood from people, clients, attendees coming into an event from wherever they're at to leaving with a much deeper relationship with the people that they were sharing the event with. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ojai, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, results, and satisfaction, not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. As biological exchange animals, our moods and transactions are inextricably linked. Most people are naive to the moods appropriate or inappropriate for transacting. To transact powerfully, you must attend to producing appropriate moods. Valerie and Lee J. Howard are entertainment experts skilled at building the perfect mood for their customers. They care deeply about delivering customized entertainment and special event experiences, having created over 5,000 local and national events since 1995. Listen to them share about the power and potency of mood. In our Guru Talk, you'll hear co-founder Kirkland Tibbles address how many people haven't considered that producing appropriate moods doesn't always mean that they should express highly positive moods. On the contrary, moods of agitation, respect, and caution are efficient and often required to increase a transaction's speed. Sometimes optimism, wonder, and humor can easily repel or produce indifference when those moods are inappropriate. Here's the interview. Valerie and Lee J. Howard, welcome to the Influence Ecology podcast. Loved seeing you in our last mid-year conference in Tucson. It was great to see you there and great to spend some time with you. So welcome. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. Thank you for having us. Let's give you guys a moment to tell people who you are, what you do, where you live. We live in Roswell, Georgia, which is a suburb just north of Atlanta. And we have been here for quite a while. We have a 28-year-old daughter, Marissa who was at the mid-year conference and had a fantastic time. She met a lot of wonderful people like you, John. And we hired her about four months ago, which would be early 2017, to join the family business. And we're just honored and privileged to be part of Influence Ecology and to be here with you today. Great. And tell us the name of your business. The name of our business is Lee J. Howard Entertainment. Valerie, anything else to add? What we've done for 30 years now is book and produce entertainment for special events. We started together at the beginning of our relationship. We decided we wanted to work together 
Lee J was a jazz pianist and composer, and I had a background in film and video and various aspects of advertising, graphic design. And we put that together and developed a business and special events, having a really great time. I don't think I knew, Lee J, that you were a jazz pianist, right? Yeah, that's correct, John. I, I grew up in a musical family. Four out of five people in my family have degrees in music and piano specifically. And my degree is in jazz piano. I used to write music and play it and record it and then perform concerts for people. And that's what I've done for most of my adult life. Tell me how you met. We met in a series of workshops that we were involved in over 30 years, maybe about 32 years ago. And then at some point, I had a dream about him. I shared the dream with him, and that conversation started us seeing each other. We developed our relationship based on a very comfortable friendship. Well, that's a beautiful thing to say because that's my experience of you guys. And one of the reasons I'm also interested in speaking with you on the podcast today is because it's very uncommon that people get into business together, husband and wife. It's also quite uncommon that people do family businesses. But I don't experience much, but something quite foundational about your relationships. When I see you, I experience that you trust one another. You certainly seem well fitted for one another. And it's so great to have your daughter now participating. Anything you want to say about being a family business? It's definitely challenging. And one of the things that did attract Valley and I to each other was a commitment to constantly learn and to be challenged in life. And it wasn't until later that I realized that really wasn't natural for me. That is who Valerie is, is somebody who's always learning, being challenged. I need that in a partnership and in the community I'm in wouldn't necessarily do it on my own. I love to learn, but I will tend to get into patterns and just want them to repeat. That has a lot to do with my who I am as a personality too. So it's been work. It's been really helpful to understand the personalities that we've learned recently and to see how much you can count on a particular personality to operate and transact in a particular way. We don't have to like it, but I'm a producer and I'm going to produce. And I want a list and just let me get going. Valerie's an inventor and she's going to have more ideas than you can imagine. But now it's really great because I'm learning that, that they have to be, those ideas have to be listened to really intently and really carefully. Somebody has to listen to them because out of all those ideas, there's going to be a couple that need to be pursued. So the personality types really, really helps. Very good. And Lee J, tell me a little bit about your current role. What do you do? What role do you play in the company? Well, right now I have multiple roles, and that is something we're working through so that I have more specific roles. I have been doing relationship-based sales. Virtually all of our business is referral-based. We have major corporations as clients, law firms. We are a national company. We do work around North America. And we really love that part of it. We love not just being a local company. And I'm also the producer. So I'm doing many things, but I'm not a salesperson. We do accomplish a lot based on the relationships I have. I don't naturally get up in the morning and think about marketing and thinking about sales. I may think about my clients. As a matter of fact, I do think about what they may want and need and how we can serve them better. 
but we are working on the process of really nailing down the processes of how I work and how the company works in the world of marketing and sales so that we can hire someone to fill that role, specifically a performer role to do sales for us. All right, clear. Valerie, for you? Well, I'm officially the head of the company. I am focused on systems and structures because in our business, we manage a lot of details. When we started, we did it all on paper, but after a while, when we expanded, I realized that we needed to use technology. This was many, many years ago. We had barely gotten through integrating cell phone and fax machine, it seems like, and pagers and things like that. And I knew that we needed to use a computer to manage so much information. So I learned about all of that. And I hired someone and we created a customized database to make sure that things don't fall through the cracks because we agreed that we were going to operate on that level. From the beginning, as a matter of fact, we told our clients they would have to wait for a little while when they wanted us to start booking other entertainers and so forth for them. They had to wait until we had our systems and structures all in place so that we would not let them down. All right, well, good. Well, let's talk a little bit about the story about you guys here. In your early days, what was informing your thinking? Where did you get your ideas about how to grow your business from? What were some of the early breakdowns that you had with working with one another? Well, early on, a lot of things worked really well at the very beginning. Not to say they didn't continue to, but Valerie, one of the things she does is she creates systems. And I loved that. And it was very simple at first. Computerized was not something that offices were. It gave me the ability to look brilliant because I could track everything everybody ever said, all the details, all the facts. So from very early on, we had contracts. They weren't complicated, but we didn't do anything without a contract. Everything was always in writing. I couldn't have done that without Valerie. She created the systems and the structure, and I just followed them. We have always had a very deep commitment to our clients and to our talent all the talent that we hire, we're here to serve them. We sign a contract, they pay us. There is a very clear transaction we deliver. But we also ended up finding that many of the people that we work with, especially our clients, became very close friends of ours. I'll tell you the one thing that really didn't work. I really lived out of hope and wishful thinking in most of the aims in my life, in most of the areas of my life. I would get up in the morning and hope and I would think magic would happen, and enough good stuff would happen that I thought I was accomplishing results. I had no idea that I was going basically nowhere. So even in our most successful years and our successful moments, I could not have articulated what our chief aims were in life. Now, at least I'm working on it, and I am very informed by accurate thinking. Accurate thinking is a mantra of mine at this point, and Whenever I'm off, if Valerie or uh, Marissa, who's our daughter that works with us, or anyone that understands that phrase, they can just bring it up and then I will shift out of what would be hopeful thinking or wishful thinking into accurate thinking. That's been really, really big for me. That's fantastic. And 
when you say you hope for things, what would that look like? Crossing your fingers or you'd write down on a board, today's going to be a miracle and the miracle is this. Yes, there'd be days where I'd get up in the morning and I'd feel really good and clear. And I'd say, Valerie, I'm going to make $8,000 in gross profit today. Minimum, are you aligned? And she'd look at me for a second and generally say yes. Well, enough of those times that I did that, it actually happened. But I couldn't repeat it. Yeah. I did take actions generally on those days. Absolutely. I didn't just go to sleep and wait to check my voicemail to see that all this work had come in. I did take action. What I've learned with my work in influence ecology is to take consistent action, set a result that I want, but don't pay attention to it too much. Focus on repeated action, repeated action, repeated action, and measure that. So now it's more reaching out to at least three clients every day. Yeah. And if I don't, I guarantee you, you can look at my results, which end up being the company's results in terms of booking events and cash flow and contract sign, and it won't be happening. And there'd be no mystery why. I used to think it was a mystery. All right, very good. And Valerie, your early journey where you were naive. I would really expect Lee Jay to be the one that provided the certainty. I really prefer to invent to think about ideas and so and he was he really is the salesperson he says he's not the salesperson well he is it's not his preference or whatever he just he does work but really just on relationships and keeping his word saying what he's going to do and doing what he says he's going to do and he's really really good at what he does it all works out and people send people here but he was answering the phone and just people were calling all the time i was frustrated because i didn't really know how to get clear on what i wanted or what we wanted and then articulate it, track it, all of that. I just didn't have that training and knowledge. I knew a lot of things and a lot of fundamental business things that really have worked really well for our business. But as far as building our business, expanding our business, that's where the breakdown has been is the two of us not being able to really powerfully set ourselves up to be successful in expanding the company. And so it sounds like in the beginning, there was a lot of frustration and in working with one another. Then that's the tough part in a family business, I think. There's the business relationship, and there's the personal relationship. And what we've had to deal with, what we've had to learn over the years, and we're way better at now with influence ecology, is separating the two. If it's business hours, focus on business. If it's personal time, focus on personal. Really protect the integrity of what's appropriate Yeah. in that moment. It sounds a little bit like, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds a little bit like we study the conditions of life and we focus in the fundamentals of transaction program on work, career, health, and money, but we introduce people to other conditions of life like relationship or sociality and so forth. And the gist of the fundamentals is that you work on building a transaction to satisfy all the conditions. Did you begin to wonder what it looked like to satisfy relationship as well as the business? How did that come to be that you began to protect that time? 
Yes. Well, in the Fundamentals of Transaction program, which I just loved, I had never done that level of thinking about what do I want in my life, putting it down on paper so that then I would be able to powerfully create it. So therefore, it was one of the ways that I really allowed Lee J to stay in the in the wishful thinking himself. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, it sounds like one of you is uncertain, one of you is wishful. And, <laughs> and it was just perfect, the perfect... Perfect storm. Perfect storm, perfect mess that way. Yeah, so if all I got out of working with Influence Ecology was that part of that program, it's... It's really worth it because nobody ever really helped me go through that process on that level before. And it's evolving. So it was a start. And so now we have a foundation to build on. I have found part of that is what's important is to be aligned, that there are things that are important to me and things that are important for Lee J. And we are two separate human beings, but we are creating a life together and a business together and a family together. It's important to be able to get aligned on certain things. When we hadn't clarified what our aims were, we, we didn't have a chance to even create alignment. And therefore, I think that's where a lot of the frustration came from. It is always, to me, a work in progress. And there's a lot of things I've learned in Influence Ecology that have been really, really valuable. And I'm going to refer back again to the personalities. I am a producer, and I think about our business almost every minute when I get from when I get up in the morning to when I go to bed during the work week. I'm not saying I work 16 hours a day. I'm not a proponent. If I were, I'd be really concerned, and I would, I would definitely seek help. It's just that I think about it. And Valerie is an inventor, and she cannot not invent. But if it's Sunday morning and it's a quiet moment and we're having coffee, that's a day for me not to be thinking about business, not because I don't care, just simply I feel like my brain needs a break. And when I really saw that an inventor's job is to invent and a producer's job is to produce, I was able to communicate, I think, and Valerie could add to that perhaps more clearly that I want her to invent and she should invent, she's an inventor, but there's times where it would be better for me if she had a journal or a notebook and wrote, wrote the ideas down to refresh my brain for a period of time between workdays. And that's just been really, really helpful. I think that's been part of the process. And in your notes, you point to the accurate thinking, the importance of all of that. So I'll sum up what I think I hear both of you saying. You did a lot of accurate thinking about your aim. So now you know where you're headed around your money. And you're clear about that aim for the both of you and together. You're clear about that aim for your career. You're clear about that aim for work. You're clear about that aim for relationship. You built the transaction in such a way, taking responsibility for you, Lee J, the producer, and you, Valerie, the inventor, and the roles you play and how you service both the relationship and the business. And because of all of those different things, you now are on the same page. And rather than frustration, there's a kind of ease because you're, you're both certain. Is that a way to say it? Anything you would say to that or add to that or clarify? I don't know that we've mastered anything. 
but we... <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> there was a time in my life I felt like I should be a master of, but um, but it, that's okay. You know, like I found an app for collecting my ideas, for instance. I found a little app. So when I have an idea, instead of sometimes he may still hear me say, oh, I have an idea. <laughs> so I say that a lot. But I have a place to put it. I want to talk to somebody. I'm finding other people to talk to who enjoy hearing my ideas more. Or I've now created a practice of writing them down, keeping track of them, because I used to be afraid I'd lose them if I didn't tell Lee J. <laughs> then it was just going to be lost forever. But I wasn't being responsible for writing it down, for capturing it. So now I have shifted into being responsible for that. And so that's an adult thing to do. And it takes some self-discipline, takes intentionality, but I'm getting way, way better at that. Then I can manage. I can see where I'm going with things and I can work with it where before it was just coming out of my mouth. Absolutely. One thing I do want to ask you, use a word that I, I think is an important one. In your notes, you write that one of the ways that you discovered your naivete was about the importance and urgency for doing accurate thinking and clarifying your aims. Is there any point to that word urgency? Was there some aspect of that that was a, a bit of a, you know, we need to wake up and get this done because it's urgent? Anything to say about all that? Yes. We are older now. We have 30 years of experience in this business. And that means that we're 30 years older. That means that we are now thinking that real we're waking up to the fact. And this was also part of the fundamentals of transaction program, waking up to that we aren't going to live forever. That's one of the reasons we were so happy that our daughter wanted to come on board because we would really like for her to take over the business rather than the other options. So there's an urgency in developing the business to a degree where it's set up to turn it over. We're still healthy. It's not like we're falling right. apart, but we want to be proactive. We want to be thinking about this before... It's an emergency, but, but there is some urgency. If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the thinking that now guides you. We've talked a little bit about accurate thinking. Um, but 
I want to know a little bit about what you've learned here and what what impact it's having in your relationship with one another. Uh, perhaps what you've learned here and what impact it's having on other conditions of life. One is measuring and having metrics in life that I know I'm serious when I'm measuring something and I know it matters if I'm measuring something. And I know that if I'm not measuring something, it a either doesn't matter or I better wake up and realize it does matter and get back out of that hopeful, wishful thinking back into accurate thinking. I am so glad you said this. I've been waiting for someone to talk about that for so long. I don't know if you've noticed, but that's a big deal to me. Anyway, I want to just throw gasoline and celebrate and yay and good. Can you say that again five different ways? I love that. (laughs) I won't go for five, but I actually put it in an earlier answer, which is before I did influence ecology, I would occasionally produce brilliant results, not be able to necessarily fully explain how I got them and not be able to tell you how one could recreate them or how I could recreate them. So metrics are crucial. And the part about metrics that took me time to understand, it it seemed abstract, now it seems obvious, which is not measuring the results, but measuring the actions. So for example, you know, people can relate to what I'm about to say. There's a certain amount of weight I'm committed to losing. I started at a number. My intent is to end at a number, but I'm not measuring the pounds, although I do weigh myself regularly, I'm measuring how many steps I run or walk every week. That's my measure. I know there's a, I'm not a scientist, but I, but I have a good sense that if I, if I'm averaging at least 10,000 steps, five, six days a week, I'm probably going to get there. Also, I'm going to feel really good during the process, but that's all that I measure. So I have a nice little Fitbit, which is linked to the computer. It's incredibly easy for me to track and to keep up with. And then within that, that one of the big things that I came out of with from mid-year conference just last month was consistency. That one of the biggest breakdowns I would assert in my relationship with Valerie and in work is consistent action and consistent behavior. It doesn't necessarily seem natural to me, but that is a big, big, big thing for me right now is being consistent. That's great. You said that well. I'm not going to say anything else to that. That's, that's beautifully said. Valerie, anything you want to add to that? Since I'm working on expanding the company, which I've done before, but now I'm doing it with your help, I have a new perspective on management. Instead of trying to control what people are doing, I'm able to honor their personalities, honor their talents and abilities, that they're the right person doing the right things, and give them space to work and represent us well. And then I can see what the results are by the tracking that I'm putting in and making it easy so that they will comply. I'm so excited. about that. It's really cool. I've had, you know, really a breakthrough with this in making it as easy as possible. Well said. And tell me a little bit about what you've learned about the conditions of life that your offer satisfies for people. 
it sounds like that in your notes, there may be some sense of the kind of benefits and moods and, and things that your, your offer is a solution for, for other people. Anything that you guys want to say about that? There's a lot, and we're probably going to both want to answer this. There, there are several things. When we first started looking at what were the aims that we were really helping satisfy, and I think these are still true, but career and work were definitely some of them. When clients work with us, they typically, well, they are event and meeting planners. Sometimes they're professional independent meeting planners with a company. Often we're working directly with an event planner at a corporation. Either case, what we do furthers their career and their work. From a work standpoint, what they tell us, many of them, most of them tell us is when they hire us, they really then from that moment on regarding the music and entertainment for their event, they know they have a partner and they will have peace of mind. That's not common. That's not normal. What we've seen more recently, I think, is a deeper understanding of really what we provide in the marketplace through their events by providing experiences. And then again, back to that word mood, that we have the ability and often will shift the mood from uh, people, clients, attendees coming into an event from wherever they're at to leaving with a much deeper relationship with the people that they were sharing the event with. And that is very powerful. And it's always been there, I think. I would assert, just because of who Valerie and I are and what we were committed to when we started the company, that's been there. However, I personally did not articulate it. I didn't see it as that. Now I really see one of the chief aims is sociality. People are living in their little cell phones or in their computer. People might be on a meeting and they're checking their email or they're wondering if their mother called because that call is the one that, you know, really got to take. It's really important. It's not how business was done or sociality was done in the past. When we are doing events, we do live events. This is an opportunity for people to be together, to connect, and to deepen, deepen, deepen the relationships they have with each other. And those relationships do translate into transactions and contracts and money. So not all events we do are about sales by any means. Sometimes they're employee appreciation events. That's not the outcome. However, what we make available through the sociality and what we select as the perfect fit for their for their events with the music and entertainment we choose provides an environment where there's expansion and there's connection not possible through a computer not possible through a phone in the same way you said all that so beautifully is there an attention to that as a solution or perhaps as a breakdown for people that you now talk about very specifically when you when you go sell your wares? Did you always talk about that? Is that a new way of talking about what you offer? Yes, it's a new way of talking because we, we knew we were providing experiences and we had it on our website. We didn't talk about it a lot, but now we really appreciate that that's what we do. And we recognize that we provide experiences, that our music and entertainment, that's what we're doing. But now we understand that those experiences are 
actually supporting the creation of moods. As a result of working with influence ecology, we've been really listening to that conversation in the classes. And we realize that is what we're doing and that that's what our clients are doing. They spend a lot of money bringing people together. We have a reputation for digging deep in our conversations with our clients to uncover as much as we possibly can. What is their purpose? Why are they doing this event? What outcomes are they looking for for their event? for themselves, well, now we have a lot more understanding about that than than we did. So we can have even more powerful conversations. But this mood, this concept of the mood, when people are experiencing really, really fabulous music or entertainment, which is what we do. And what happens is really a transformative experience. A lot of work and a lot of money goes into them. They want a shift in relationships. It's really great because as Lee J first described all that, first referencing the way in which we live in our phones, it was exciting to me. You know, it's, there's something about the satisfaction of all of those other conditions of life, relationship and and sociality and and so forth. There is something really important that is missing often often is the case in some transactions where people don't get the opportunity to connect and they don't get the opportunity to experience one another in the way that we perhaps used to sitting around a fire sitting around the the campfire or sitting around the the fire in the cave as we have all been trained to do for millennia there's something quite natural about the benefit of that to us as human beings i love that you're addressing it directly i love that you're addressing it in all kinds of ways it makes me happy we want to contribute to people and to organizations to cultures we want to contribute now that we have a deeper understanding we have more fulfillment in what we're doing we've had that goal forever that was what brought us together the two of us it's a shared core value so it was the foundation of everything in the beginning but now we feel like you're going after it directly (laughs) yeah we have way more ability to do that now any final words or anything else you'd like to say about life now I feel like we have our hands, this is not an original way to say this, I'm trying to think of another way, but essentially we have our hands on the steering wheel, that by measuring what's important to us, we have a roadmap. And by being specific with those measures in the domains of life that are important to us, we have a way to get where we want to go. And When I did, there's a chart in Influence Ecology we did where we create a life expectancy. It was amazing to me to realize, well, my dad lived to almost 93, and my mom's about 92 and a half, and she's still quite alive. So the reality is, is I can't count on anything, but I've got a while while left. (laughs) So to be able to be in the conversation about what are my aims and to get clarity about it is really powerful for me. And it's still, again, it's not 
there's no perfection. It's really work for me, and it's a process for me. As a producer, thinking more than 90 days ahead is almost impossible. It's unnatural, and even the 90 days is a long time for me. However, that goes back to what I said earlier about about wishful or magical thinking or anything like that is I'm not going to get there with that. So Influence Ecology has given me a lot of tools. It's given me day-to-day tools about understanding how my brain works so that I'm focused on certain kinds of activities at certain times of day. We started meditating, Val and I both did early this year, and it's it really has had a lot of great effects. Uh, but one is that I am ambitious in my study, and it only happens if I schedule the time to do it. I don't have a job. I have a company. We have a company. I have to study at night. And that has really been a great tool to see how my brain works, how my mind works. Learn about that in one of the books that are suggested reading in Influence Ecology. And now I can go well into the evening. It seems like a small thing, but it's not. It produces better direction to accomplish my aims. But I also want to restate something Valerie said. We are here to get clear on our clients' aims and goals for a particular event. And we will click down and click down and click down and uncover the purpose and intention for them often that they did not even know existed. And that is a soapbox moment for me because that is an approach to events for us, which also could be an approach to life or an approach to a business that if you listen powerfully to anybody you're interacting with and and keep getting to the bottom of it, whatever the it is, you, we have the ability to contribute in a way that other people can't. If they, if they stop at, at a superficial or a surface level, listen, connect with people. And the last thing I'll say is, it's why I love Influence Ecology Conferences. We just got back a few weeks ago from the mid-year conference at Dove Mountain in Arizona. It's a Ritz-Carlton property. And the ability to be with people and to connect, it is irreplaceable. And literally, some of that connection was in front of a fire. It, it, it didn't need to be a fire. It was pretty hot out there. But it is a, <laughs> is a, it is a figurative and literal reference that you made. And, and I just think there's no replacing it. And that's part of why we love events. There's no replacing live events and what can be created amongst human beings at those events. Great. Valerie? Well, the people that are participating in Influence Ecology are beautiful people. I really appreciate that you attract such fabulous people. (laughs) We learn a lot from the conversations that we have, whether we're at one of the conferences or we're in a class, and then we develop relationships and we support each other. I'm a person who really cares about people. I really care about people. And I feel like there are so many people within Influence Ecology that care about me. I really appreciate that. That's the staff and the participants. All right. Well, Lee Jay and Valerie Howard, it has been a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation to uh, have people hear your story. It's a fantastic one. And I look forward to seeing you around a fire soon. Thank you so much, John. 
Thank you so much. It, it was an honor, a privilege, and as a lovely byproduct, fun as well. As I said, in our Guru Talk, you'll hear co-founder Kirkland Tibbles address how many people haven't considered that producing appropriate moods doesn't always mean that they should express highly positive moods. Here's the talk. The first thing to distinguish is that you are always in a mood, and so is everyone else that you come in contact with. You, the first thing you will be addressing when you are in the environment of another human being is their mood. That's the thing to recognize as quickly as you can. So it might be helpful to say, what is a mood? Well, what is a mood? It's likely that you have run into recently, if not today, in the last few days, someone whose mood is so powerful and either so agitating or so exciting that it actually altered or affected how you saw a particular situation. Well, given the kind of animal that we are, we tend to, if we don't recognize it, fall into the trap of accepting. Social scientists would tell you that you are simply allowing yourself to accept or acquire the tenor and the aspects of mood. You'll find that you fall into some kind of what would be commonly called mimicking of those moods. It's pretty, it's pretty typical to see one powerful mood enter into an environment and change things for the entire room. Well, it might be useful to recognize what that is. Well, first off, a mood is a narrative. If I, I ask you, what is a mood? I would like to hear you say that you recognize that a mood is nothing more than a story that we hold about a current or imminent situation in any condition of life. When we are in a mood, we are responding to a story about a specific condition of life, and likely it's one that is dominant. It's causing something that produces a narrative about a future in that condition of life, either an imminent short-term and for some a long-term recognition of some result or consequence or idea about the future in a condition of life. A mood is a narrative that we hold about the future in one or more conditions of life. So it's possible that you can be in a really bad mood about money and a good mood about your relationship. It's possible to be holding good moods about one condition of life and bad moods about others, and with whatever narrative is running the show in that moment, that will inform the mood. So that's what a mood is. And it's important for you to recognize that we respond to moods and that we respond more viscerally and more uh, immediately to moods of other people than you recognize. And it would be good for you to practice during this study term, during these two weeks, on actually attempting to produce and to incite and to have people accept moods in practice. Now, what I tend to bump into, and we, we've noticed this quite a bit, is that we get into conversations about producing a mood, and some people reject that notion out of hand, that they see it as something that is inauthentic, that it's something that is uh, more of a put-on, something that is say people who 
don't accept, for example, that the weapons of influence aren't just weapons that have people respond in a certain way. They're, they're actually some kind of parlor trick people would respond to rather than the psychological shortcuts that people take to make decisions. People who hold narratives about the weapons of influence, they tend to think that they're more like manipulative tricks or parlor games rather than the study of the psychological shortcuts that human beings need to have at their disposal in order to make decisions because they can't carry around every kind of information that they need at any given moment in time to make decisions and we're thrown into situations faster and faster more and more all the time but we have to make decisions so we use these psychological methodologies in order to survive just as as recognizing that the weapons of influence are psychological maneuvers that we use to make decisions you need to also recognize that moods are producible in fact you're already doing it and they're only a story well if moods are a story who's the writer of that story you are or the person with whom you are intending to transact it's a story now it may be well grounded it may be highly consequential it may come with a lot of evidence but it is a story and most people do not recognize the power that they have in their hands to alter the environment of a transaction by dealing with the moods. I don't know, Drew, if you guys have ever said in this program that we invite you not to transact with people who are in moods of despair. But people who hold the state of mind and are in moods of despair are dealing with the kind of narrative and the kind of imminent uh, situations in some condition of life I would say would have them need to go handle those objective situations and that it is unethical if you know someone is dealing with something that has them in despair it's unethical I say for you to transact with them in fact I recommend helping them this is part and parcel of recognizing moods and finding out, especially from the folks you engage on a regular basis, what is going on? What is the narrative that they're holding? And find out. Now, most of the time, as you are engaged in transactions on a daily basis, you're bumping into moods that are moods that adults hold. They are highly reactive to the situation they don't even recognize for the most part that they've been accepting the narratives of the current they simply are naive to transacting and part of bringing power into transactions is to recognizing that you must learn how to produce moods and you've got to know what moods to produce when and where in any given transaction it is common especially in the West and I'll certainly in the United States, and I think Australia is the case for sure, that positive moods are held in high esteem and negative moods are not. That, that the right way to be is to, is to keep your chin up, to have a great mood and a great attitude and work really hard, and that's the right way to be. And avoid conflict and avoid any kind of pressure and avoid asking for, you know, applying consequence and asking for commitment, and that's just simply 
silly if you understand everything that's going on in the transaction cycle. There are times when it is inappropriate to be running around in high states and high moods. It's inappropriate to send in the clown car when the production team is trying to get something done on the production floor. It's the last thing we need when we are in the production room trying to get things done under very tight terms and conditions to have a bunch of yahoos come in clowning around in an inappropriate mood that is best held for something in a social situation. It's inappropriate in a transaction where the conditions call for sober inquiry and seriousness to come in in high states. And it's also inappropriate to bring a highly skeptical and negative mood into a situation that requires a high mood. It's kind of an odd thing to me that people find themselves in a social setting on the very front end of a transaction cycle where the need is to have people accept invitations and they simply don't recognize it's like bad breath. Their moods are terrible for that situation and they'll argue that they're being authentic. Just like people will argue and fight with us that having a good, jovial, gregarious mood in the, on the production floor or in the important areas of judgment and assessment, you'll hear people argue for that at the, in the same way. You'll, people, you'll hear people argue that being highly creative and innovative and spontaneous is appropriate for all areas of the transaction cycle, and that's simply not true. You've got to learn, and one of the best ways to do it is to learn the narratives of the transaction cycle so well that the minute you recognize where you and the other party are in the transaction cycle, the faster you can begin to produce the moves that are required to get the job done. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share it with others. You can share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place you get your podcasts. If you haven't yet offered a rating or review, I ask that you take a moment. Go to iTunes and let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Influence Ecology Podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. I'd like to thank Lee J and Valerie Howard for a great interview. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with them and all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. I'd also like to thank Jason Kelly, Tyson Crandall, and Carol Gregory for their contributions.